This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, Kyle and I are ecstatic to have an awesome guest with us. I consider this guy to be the godfather of commercial producers for no other reason than as soon as I got my license, I was told to go out and buy a copy of The Wedge. We are privileged to be joined by Mr. Randy Schwantz, CEO of The Wedge Group. Randy, what's going on, man? Hey, man, I've never been called the godfather before. I'm thinking about maybe I need to kind of like start cutting off the, the heads of horses and some cool things like that. Huh? There you go. There you go. Well, listen, yeah. um, you know, everybody that I know that's a commercial producer, at least the overwhelming majority of them know who you are because you wrote one of, I, I mean, it's got to be one of the top two or three transformative books written specifically for our industry and even more specifically producers the information that is shared in there is timeless it can be applied today just like it could be 20 years ago and that's what makes it so valuable but that's not what i want to talk about today because that's what everybody knows i want to get into what you're doing now that i personally feel will have an even greater impact on our industry and specifically middle market commercial producers than the wedge had. And I know that's a bold statement, but I feel like I feel like after seeing a little bit behind the curtain that you're onto something really, really cool. So why don't you sort of talk to everybody about how you got to where you came up with the idea that you needed to create big nition as you progressed from being the author of so many, I mean, I, I rattled off like three of the books. I'm sorry if you wrote more, but I know that I read The Wedge, Red Hot Introductions, How to Get Your Competition Fired were three that I know I read early in my career. But now you're moving more into the technology realm. And I know from my perspective why I believe you should do that, but I'm interested in what you have to say. Well, yeah, I think that the biggest reason, David, is because, um, you know, having been in, I mean, really hundreds of agencies and, you know, you start asking questions, what's in your pipeline? Um, what does that look like? Well, by the way, how are you doing in relationship to your goals? Oh, where are your goals? Oh, Hey, David, who are your, who are your top eight, 10, 12 competitors you guys run into all the time around here? Oh, by the way, if I was a new producer, like, what do I really have to sell for you? If you know, whatever, what are our differentiators and that, and many other questions. Oh, one other question. Uh, Tell me about your sales meeting. And, you know, most sales meetings are, I, I, I've kind of coined it as a spreadsheet liars club meeting, you know. <laughs> and so, you, when, when, so that was really my personal frustration working with agencies trying to, trying to take that ecosystem and, and, and move it off of having spreadsheets like all over the planet and put it into one place to where it's easy to go for a producer where it's easy, because it really is a producer, I got three jobs, prospect, sell, retain. As a leader, you got three jobs, train, coach, and develop me. 
And if, if you can train, coach, and develop me to prospects on retain, I'm going to make a lot of money. You're going to make a lot of money. We're both very happy. There you go. But those, the, it's so hard for agency leaders to do it because it's so hard for producers to do it. So I decided to try to build a, it's kind of a three tiers, like a three-tier cake. All the training for producers, a sales management platform, and then peanut butter and jelly together with the pipeline CRM technology in the middle. And, and that three-layer cake is what we call Big Nation. Got it. So what led to what led to the thought process? Why? Why did you just I mean, this is not like you just woke up one morning and said, I think I'm going to knock out a little something today and change the industry like this is a massive project. Well, yeah, part of a self-defense. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of anecdotal stories uh, of people using the wedge and writing business and become million dollar producers. I mean, it's happened a lot, but a lot of it was anecdotal. And, and so part of out of defense was, you know, how could I get that data all in one place and report it? So that, that was part of it. Um, it was just, but, but it's also frustration, like, you know, because for the first 15 years of my career, man, I was on the road a lot. Well, okay. Now, now you just, now you triggered the real button. <laughs> well, seriously, kind of, kind of, here's what happened one day. I was, I was at my oldest daughter's basketball game when she was a junior and I'd missed a bunch of them because I was always on the road. And I, I basically said to myself, how do I create something that becomes uh, great, for, great for clients, great for me, that, that I can almost create on a subscription basis uh, so that I can spend more time in because I got four daughters so I could see the rest of their lives a little bit without being on the road all the time. That's kind of the real truth of it. And um, and it was all influenced by all the other experiences I had being in agencies. And so then I said, well, how do I get to be like David? How do I get to be where I can build a book of business with replicatable income? What, what's going to make that happen? How do I bring that kind of value? And so then that's when I got into technology business and started building this thing. And you put all this stuff together, that's it. Well, and I mean, let's face it, you can't just keep writing new books all the time, right? At some point you turn into Dave Ramsey, who's written the same book 20 times and just puts a different cover on it and changes the words around a little bit. I mean, it's a much more difficult way to make a living. You know, from my perspective in, in working with producers specifically in the middle market, one of the things that I think that has always been a big disconnect and certainly something that your product meets this need Agency principals do a really bad job of managing behavior, right? So my thought process is that if the behavior is managed and the behavior is right, it will breed the production. If you're just waiting to manage revenue results, you're reactionary in your leadership and it's too late. Of course, the producer is not going to be successful at that point. And so that's one of the reasons why when we engage and work with, with new producers, one of the very first things I want them to do is create a formal business plan. They've probably never had to do that before. And so many times you talk with agency principals or, I mean, I've even been in agencies before where I worked prior to owning Florida Risk, where it would just be, tell us what you're going to, you know, what's your annual, yeah. what's your annual it production going to be. It makes it more real and it makes it tangible. It gives you something. It's like, you can have all these ideas in your head about what your goals are as far as production or things that you want to accomplish over the course of the year. But until you get that in a, in a business plan, like you said, I don't think it's really that real, you know? No, and it doesn't make sense. I don't want to know what you're going to do. I want to know how you're going to do it. Yeah. And that's, you know, to me, that's what the industry lacks in more, more, even more than just the right thought process is the tools that you need to actually follow through with that. That's why I got so excited when I saw Big Nition because Randy has basically taken something that I scream from the mountaintops every single day and turned it into a dashboard that does exactly what I think one of the biggest, it fills one of the biggest gaps that we have in the industry, producer behavior. The producer can monitor it. Their boss can monitor it and everybody's on the same page in real time, but it doesn't stop there. I mean, it goes so much deeper than that. It would be impossible for me to create a word picture that describes exactly what this thing looks like. But people take my word for it. When you reach out to Randy and do a demo after this podcast, which I know you're going to reach out to Randy and do a demo, you're going to see why I got so excited about it because all of the things you hear me talk about or read about in blog posts or watching on my 
my YouTube channel are all taken and made into a virtual dashboard that tells a story that everybody can read and understand. So if we were gonna give a, a kind of a contrast, I got my little blue bucket back here. I'm just gonna grab it real fast. I also, are those giant Legos behind you too? Is that what that they is? They are giant Legos. That's I'll, fantastic. I'll bring those out in just a moment. In a moment. <laughs> <laughs> but when I think about most CRM, and, and, and I'm gonna start with the big boys, Salesforce.com, Microsoft Dynamics, Pipedrive, all that sort of stuff. To me, it's like a blue bucket. And, and they're built so you can, you can take names and you can put names in, you can take names out. But nobody likes what they do, so then they call a carpenter and they call an electrician, you call a plumber to try to fix it up, and when it's all said and done, nobody still likes it. So, so I hate the blue bucket. And then the 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 other side of the equation, so that, that you know those are the big boys, the other side of the equation is maybe some of the AMS systems people produce, and there's also some there's some great tools for if you're gonna write personal lines. You know, that set up all the automation to send out, hey, make sure you put, you know, the freeze protection on your faucet and all that crap. But nothing's out there for middle market producers who need a book of business of, say, 60 to 100 accounts, want to grow a book of 750 to a million bucks, uh, need to leverage a client relationship to get introduced into somebody, or needs to be really good at making dials and setting appointments by phone. So, you know, those things to make the, it, it easy doesn't exist. And so, you know, when you start thinking about that, uh, I mean, there's there's so, so many little things in, in, in bot, in, embedded in this thing to that that if you if you sit there and go, what what are the top five or six behaviors I want a producer to do? How could I both train them to do it and then how get them technology to make it easy to do? And then as a leader, now how can I manage and coach and make them better? That's kind of the, the mindset that I brought to this thing when we built it. So, Well, I'm a firm believer in bright colors and big pictures tell stories too. And <laughs> I mean, it's very intuitive when you go in. It's not like you have to try and figure out. I mean, we it's well known. We use HubSpot. I've spent a lot of money building that out uh, because... <laughs> there wasn't anything, right? I had to try and do what Randy's doing on my own and you've done a much better job of it than I've built in my own agency. But I don't, I mean, there's so many people who, who haven't even done that, but even just to look at the aesthetics and how easy it is to understand what is on my screen versus looking at like logic trees of if then logic, do this, do that, setting up automations and everything else. I mean, I think that to me, it's the not so secret sauce because we've already told everybody. But I mean, I think that that's really one of the main things you have going for you is just how how it's set up logically through the buyer's journey and the life cycle of an account, but also with easy to read and understand graphics in every step of the way. Plus, click and drag, click and drag all day long instead of having to figure out, you know, what comes next. Plus, Kyle, you mentioned my, I'm gonna I'm pull these things around. Uh, not that it's a big deal, but the, so so I've got these things here because to me this is me as a producer, this is a buyer, that's the incumbent, mm -hmm. and you know we kind of talked about I mean, the wedge is all about get this guy fired. I got to get this guy fired for me to get hired. Mm -hmm. but, but what this really represents are what we're calling proactive services, and I know David's a, a major league proponent and coach and teacher and all that sort of stuff of those proactive services that then can become wedges. Mm -hmm. well, part of what... Uh, I'm not going to lie, Randy. I like that blue and gold in the background, too. That's my color. <laughs> you're you're, you're, you're really it, slick if you built... The, yeah, you're really slick if you built those Legos special for us, man. Uh, well, all for you. Yeah. Uh, but, you but you sit there and think about those, those Legos. If you, can, if you can take your services and move it from a, an idea or a concept and you, you break them down just like bricks and each one has a name, just like your kids have names. When you call them out, you know, you can turn them into wedges, you can drag and drop, build the service timeline. And so, so we built all that stuff in there because people struggle with differentiation. When you look across the board, if they're not, if they're not in one of our circles, they struggle huge with differentiation and they know mm -hmm. it. They just don't know the way out. And so part of this represents, about you know going after building a differentiation so you can get your competition fired. But then the other thing is here, once you get a new client, suppose that 
this is my new client and that's not the incumbent anymore, that's just uh, uh, somebody that the incumbent knows, I mean that my buyer knows, is, is working this whole thing for Red Hot Introductions. I mean, there's, when you, when you look at any self-respecting commercial insurance broker who's got 60, 70, 80 commercial accounts, each one of those accounts, you take the top 20, which is going to be 16 to 20 of those accounts. Each one of those has got relationships that we want to meet. Sure. But it's, but it's not mapped out. It's not a process. It's either, it's either on a spreadsheet or a whiteboard or something like that. And so I forget about it. My coach can't coach me through and create accountability. So it's just all those things help me prospect so I can set appointments. Help me prepare to win so I can beat the incumbent. Give me the dialogue so I want to go on the sales call. I walk away with a BOR. And then give me some tools to build it. To now I got it. Build my service plan so that I can wedge-proof that thing for the rest of my life. Build a huge book of business. And then I'll just say this. Um, one of my, my personal big motivators, and um, there's a picture right over there. You can't see it on this thing. But I got four daughters. And when, when the oldest was six, so I had a six, a four, a two, and a newborn. Whew. Something had happened that triggered me to start thinking about how much money do I need to make or save to be able to buy four cars, four universities, four <laughs> weddings, to fund my own retirement. And uh, I called up a financial advisor. He came over to the house, and I was just telling the story. I mean, we're sitting around our kind of a coffee room table, and I was telling him, yeah, I got four kids. I got to do this. got to do that. How much money do I need to save to do that? And he got out his little HP calculator and started pushing all his buttons and it kind of started to smoke. And I go, oh, well, I'm in trouble now. Did it have the paper like ribbon on it like Dave's got on his desk? Like, <laughs> I have like, one. Like, the calculator tape? That's the best. Yeah. Randy, I ran grocery stores for a decade before I got into the insurance industry and read The Wedge. I will never abandon the old school adding machine with the paper tape because when we reconciled deposits every night, it's that there. became the wrapper for the checks, right? So <laughs> that's just one of those things that there I'm never go. gonna abandon. And even today when I'm adding up loss runs or whatever else, I'm running adding machine tape when I do it. I just refuse to quit. Sweet. <laughs> that's good. Well, to finish that story, financial advisor said, I need to save $65,000 a year every year for the next 20 years. And at that point in my life, I could save about 7,500. So I was underfunding <laughs> my future, $57,500 a year. And so part of this is also about, I, I've asked thousands of producers, what's your new business commission goal? How did you come up with that goal? And it was, it's, it's, I love what you're talking about, having people, having new producers write business plans. But you know, in my world, the majority of, of my client base is not newbies, it's, it's the guy who's been around for a while. You'd be amazed how many guys have been producing for 5, 10, 15, 20 years that are only saving 10, 12, 15 grand a year. They're grossly underfunding their future. And the, and the, the part that's heartbreaking is they don't even know it. Yeah, have no clue. Mm -hmm. And so part of what we built into this whole system is, is kind of like that 30-year timeline and look at it and map out all that stuff out. And then let's go figure out how to go grow your savings capability because it's not how much you make, it's how much you save that builds wealth if you don't own this agency. And um, anyway, so that that's really kind of a heartfelt thing that that, that man, I drive hard. And well, you know, I mean, the thing that's cool about that is it's going to show them the number and it's going to show them how their current activity is impacting that number in real time. So real it's time. not just about whether or not you're going to hit your production goal for the year. It's whether or not you're going to hit your production goal for life. Like what's life after this look like? And I mean, mm -hmm. I'm I'm one of those people. I, I live well below my means right now because I want to live like a king when I'm finally done and retired, but that's a personal choice and something that I looked looked at intentionally, and honestly, Kyle's in the same boat that I am to a certain degree and that our wives both have really good jobs that allow us to be able to go and, and sock more away now so that we're saving for our families in the future, but the average producer that I see, I mean, and that's peers that have been doing this for 20 years, in addition to people who are brand new, they couldn't tell you. They couldn't tell you what they have, how much they need, unless they're in a 401k and somebody like Principal or Lincoln Financial sends them a statement, says, we're projecting you're going to be underfunded by re for retirement by X number yeah. of dollars. They don't how even have know? a benchmark to go by. Right. Yeah. So now you, you take that to, now you take that to a leadership level. 
can you imagine, but, you know, because this, this is another book, well, I can't point to it, but right there called Grit that I wrote, boom, mm-hmm. Grit, How to Find, Hire, and Develop Real Producers. And almost every leader that we know laments about how difficult it is to, to, to find and hire new producers to have them become successful. And so part, you know, part of the question we got asked was, well, why the hell would anybody want to come to work for you? Well, Randy, we're local. We care. Blah, blah. Come yeah, on. Dude. Exactly. Right. Come on, man. And so part of the thing, and some people bought into it, some haven't, and that's fine. But can you imagine if I was out recruiting you and you know, you're just out there in the wilderness doing whatever you're doing? And I said, you know, here at our agency, man, we got a really strong sales culture. I mean, we we really help people win. Um I love salespeople. I don't hate them, you know, like a lot of agency owners. Uh, I want to see you do well. And in fact, we got a whole plan to help you become a multi-millionaire. And that's what we're committed to helping you do. And if you'd like to come talk to us, I'd love to have that chance. And so rather than just, hey, come on over here and, and see if it works out. I mean, having a commitment to really help all your producers become multi-millionaires I think it's a very powerful sort of message. And um, anyway, that kind of stuff gets me fired up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now, look, I, I put out some content a week or two ago. And it, it's amazing because you and I hadn't even talked about you coming on the podcast at that point. But we're going right down the same road that I, that I brought up then. And, and that's we need to do a really good job. I mean, people, this starts with your kids. You know, don't wait till they're out in the in the workforce. Like my children already understand basic financial concepts, at least to their level of ability to grasp that. But understanding the difference between income statement wealth and balance sheet wealth is an important concept that everybody should be taught at some point. Like I'm a firm believer. I, I mean, I know I tongue in cheek made a comment about Ramsey writing 20 books that were all the same, but at the same time, I, I do agree with him on some things. And one of those is I think everybody should go through a financial literacy course to graduate high school, right? That's how you cure an epidemic. And we have one. Well, it's crazy that that's not part of schooling like that and, and taxes, like basic accounting stuff. I mean, you don't learn any, you don't, you don't learn that anywhere unless you go to higher education for that. It's Listen, nuts. in his books, I don't remember if it was financial peace or total money makeover, but in Ramsey's in Ramsey's books, he talks about the fact that kids graduate high school and they don't even know how to balance a checkbook. They totally. don't know what a check register is. Well, that's 20 years outdated. I could hand my oldest son when he first got into high school my debit card and say, go get whatever you want at the convenience store. And I knew he wasn't going to spend a penny. He didn't even know how to use the debit card <laughs> until I taught him. Nash spends, Nash spends all his allowance. Yeah. He spins yeah, that shit like it's grown on trees. There you go. Yeah, I grew up on a, on a small farm. And um, you know, when we got old enough, my dad took us down to the bank and opened up a bank account. Uh, he paid us 25 cents an hour to hoe weeds out of the cotton and feed the pigs and help bale the hay. And you know, he'd write us a check for $2.25. And then we'd go down on Saturday morning to the bank. We'd deposit that check. He'd write us, show us how to write that in there. And then we'd buy something. Then he'd show us how to write a check and look at the balance, balance that check and all of a sudden, I mean, that, and you go, that it doesn't get any more basic. Mm-hmm. But then you move it to the next level of, 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 of really, you know, financial planning. I mean, you know, most financial planners, I, I have a little respect for, but not a lot, because basically they're just asset gatherers, and and they they've got a little bit of deal, and they'll say, you know, if you'll save your boom, then here's what you're going to have. But they don't, they're not really coaches, and they're not teachers. And they don't give really people thinking about what they could do. They just say, based on what you have, here's where it's going to end up. And let's put it over here with a diversified deal. So, I mean, to come financially astute is a huge, powerful thing. And then you reverse engineer that, you're going to be one hell of a producer. Because now you know what you want. And you know why. And you know the consequences and implications. So anyway, uh, fun stuff to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing that I would bring up that I think that the CRM does intuitively. And it, again, it's something that I harp on all the time, but it forces, it forces the producer to think and plan ahead of time before they go into the appointment, before they have the conversation so that they're ready when they get there. I mean, I am a huge fan and I've, I've said it on the show before. I think I even talked about it in my book, but I'm a huge fan of sending your client an agenda 
before you ever go. The prospect. Send them the agenda. Show them what you think you, you have surmised you should talk about. Ask them for their feedback. Let them be invested in the process. Add or subtract whatever they want to do to customize it. And then when you go, then plan around those bullet points ahead of time because you're not going to have any surprises. It gets rid of a lot of small talk trying to find out information when you go in. And, you know, so for sure. to that, yeah, to that end, I just don't think we have a lot of producers that even understand how to plan going into an appointment. They know the questions to ask around insurance. Oh, what are your sales? What are your payrolls? Let me get your loss runs or even the experience mod or whatever else. But getting getting to that next degree of questioning, understanding, okay, this person's paying too much for insurance. They're upset, but they're actually paying what they should be paying because of their history. Let's focus on that. Let's go in and let's talk to me about you know, your workers' comp claims. Talk to me about your employee benefits program. Talk to me about it and just walk right down the line on policies, procedures, metrics that they're using to measure that stuff in their operation because it's all a direct reflection on what's going to happen with premium at the end of the conversation. But it also begins to build a story that then you can take and, and relay to an underwriter and impact all of that. And I think that's a lost art or an untaught art in many cases in our industry. And to me, it just makes common sense. I think, Randy, if, if you were to ask me what I think one of the things that has led me to be somewhat successful in this industry, I would tell you it's because I came into this industry having worked in another industry where I had P&L responsibility, had to plan, had to organize, had to lead, had to hire, had to fire for 10 years before I ever stepped foot in. I didn't know a thing about insurance, but I could sell it because I could go in and talk about all of the operational things that were impacting that and then just say, look, if you want me to be able to come in and my firm to be able to fix this, the way that we fund our value proposition is through the placement of the insurance policy. To us, it's a bit of a commoditized process these days. It's a funding mechanism for our value proposition, though, because we would know we know better than to come in and try and create another line of expenses on your income statement. We'd rather you redeploy funds you're already spending to get something that you're not currently getting. I can see that clear as day because I came from outside the industry and I didn't wake. I, I didn't grow up going door to door, hustling and selling policies. Well, it, it seems to be how we, we, we come from different places and, and that's what drive our experience really drives kind of how we see the world. So I'm just the opposite. I came from construction industry as a sales guy working, for, you know, we built apartment complexes and, uh, back in the late eighties and early nineties, I mean, the, the Charles Keating and the real estate, the, the savings and loan sort of bust. I mean, the whole country went down. And uh, so I was kind of, I was kind of, it was hard to find a job. So I went to work for a, a marketing firm and um, I had taken some Tony Robbins stuff, read a lot of book about NLP, read a bunch of books on selling. And then, so one day I decided, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm just start doing sales training for our, our, our marketing advertising clients. And, and then I, one of my first five clients was an agency. And so I go in there, I'm working on that agency and, and I ask, you know, because you come from, uh, I, I've got no bias. I'm just sitting there going, what's your strategy you're going to win this account? Like I go, well, I'll build a relationship, get the policies, find a coverage gap, market it, and bring back a better price. All right. What else? He goes, what else do I need? I go, I don't know. So <laughs> I, I sit there and kind of start thinking about it some, cause I didn't know. Right. So, um, next time I see him, I go, uh, Hey, dude, how, how did it go? He goes, not so good. I said, what happened? He goes, I think, I think my, I think my prospect showed the other guy my numbers. Well, what happened? Well, then the other guy matched it. Well, what happened then? Well, then I, I didn't get paid. Oh, well, how do you feel about that? And here's what he said. If I was the incumbent, that's what I'd want. I go, yeah, but you're not. He said, but if I was, I would. And I'm sitting there going, but you're not. Aren't you pissed <laughs> off that that guy stole your stuff? And he goes, Randy. Aren't you new at this? I go, yeah. You'll see that's how it works. And I'm sitting there going like, holy <laughs> crap. So where you came from, which I admire enormously, 10 years of doing what you did, business acumen, all that sort of stuff, I came to, to it from more of a psychology perspective and a whole lot of curiosity. Like, man, there's got to be a better way. And then one day it just kind of hit me that there's a bad guy sitting in the room and nobody's talking about him. And... And you, you start to think about why not is because we're all told if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And then we're all told, go sell yourself. 
And so then that creates a paradigm for people to just kind of pay like the incumbent doesn't exist. And um, got a dog, huh? Yeah. Who doesn't have a dog anymore? I've got two downstairs that are barking because we got stuff going on out in the neighbor's yard. It's so you're good. They'll all be (laughs) there in a little while. But anyway, so it's kind of like out of that came my whole philosophy is on selling process. You got to get the competition fired to get hired. Uh, differentiation. Let's go stack it up instead of being a reactive services nice agency. Um, running sales meetings. Let, let, instead of running spreadsheet liars club meeting, let's help producers figure out how to go beat the bad guy and all this sort of stuff. And um, and now you start to blend those kinds of thinking. That just that just takes everything to a new higher level, which is one of the reasons I respect so much what you guys are doing. I mean, it's just good stuff. Good well, you stuff. know. I, I got into the industry for one reason and one reason only. It was to make a lot of money. Um, you know, I stay here mm-hmm. because I enjoy the people and I enjoy the process and everything else. But when I when I got into the industry, the guy that basically gave me my first shot at writing real middle market business, I, I flew down from Birmingham, Alabama, where I was living at the time, to Tampa, had lunch with him, and he said, David insurance industry is the greatest industry on the face of the earth. It's made more millionaires than any other industry in the business world you can imagine. And he said, it's full of C players. It's full of average people who do just what they need to do to get by. If you're an A player, if you think you're better than average, you will absolutely dominate the insurance industry because you'll work harder, you'll work smarter, and you'll do what the other people aren't willing to do because they've gotten comfortable. And wait a second. Could, you told me that when we first met. What's that? I said, I said, wait a second. You told me that when we first met. <laughs> yeah, I did, man. I regurgitated uh-huh. to everybody now, right? It works, <laughs> Absolutely. right? I'm not, look, I'm not proud. I and mean, I'll were, take from the wedge. You? I'll take from that guy. I mean, my my entire shtick is a compilation of everything that I've absorbed over the last 20 years. Absolutely. But what Absolutely. I found out, Randy, is that after year number one, I was working 50 hours a week, which was half as many hours as I was used to working, twice as many hours as my competition was working. And I felt like I was on vacation. I was writing business because I answered the phone at 3.30 on a Friday afternoon, Yeah, right? I, I would go out and I would be at the breakfast. I would never eat lunch by myself. If somebody needed the 4.30 uh, appointment, I didn't care that I was going to be stuck in traffic for two hours. I went out and I did what I needed to do. I wasn't the best salesperson. I didn't know a thing about insurance, but I could gain people's trust and confidence because I could go in and I could talk to them at a human level about the problems that they were facing as business owners. And I can't even tell you the number of times people just thanked me at the end of a first appointment for letting them vent for an hour because they were so sick and tired of it. And people, if you will sit and listen more than you talk, everybody that I have ever met with 100% of, well, 99% of the time, one time that lady from the the company that you know, Kyle, who takes meetings for no reason, just to take meetings, (laughs) But 100% of the time, they're going to tell you how to get the incumbent fired. You just have to be willing to listen and not talk. For sure. Yeah, and see, I'm going to take I, – I, I, I agree, and I'm going, to, I'm going to add a little color to that. Like if I was a newbie hearing you say that, I'd go, okay, well, what am I listening for? And, 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 and if I'm let – me, let me just say it this way. There's a lot of people who are extraordinary salespeople and don't even know they're extraordinary, but they are. And they get frustrated trying to teach that next generation to do what they do. So then I think about what you just said and I go, hang on, I'm going to deconstruct what David just said. He said, if you'll sit there and listen to them, they'll tell you how to get the competition fired. Okay, then now I got I feel like as a, as a trainer coach, I'd go, what, what am I going to teach them to listen for? Um, more importantly, in my world, who is the incumbent? Because the incumbent gives us all the clues in terms of where that buyer is being underserved. So if we start to become a student of our competition, by the way, that's another thing we put in the database. I'd go, who are your top competitors? Well, well, why don't, why don't we just have all your top competitors, all, all, all the firms, all the agents, and what they're good at, what they're bad at, share notes, share the proposals. Let's go study them. Let's be a student of them as much as we are of ourselves. Because then we'll know exactly what questions that's going to stimulate that buyer to vent about what's not getting done by the incumbent, therefore starting to move them It's like out. watching film for your opponent, you know, like exactly. football. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, if and you know then, who your competition is, you can also target them. I mean, I, I'll be the bad guy and say that. If there's an agent out there that does a really bad job or an agency <laughs> that does a really bad job, I'm going to find every one of their accounts and target them, period. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, used to get, I used to get letters every once in a while from people going, hey, I don't understand why you'd write this book. You know, I was a perfectly good agent, doing a perfectly good job, doing nothing wrong. And then you taught some young guy how to come in and take my business away from me. You're wrong, Randy. I'm going, dude, yeah. you need to raise your game. Seriously. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like the people that I see bitching and moaning about agent of record letters and how they're horrible things when, you know, at the end of the day, it's an inanimate object that has no emotion, no intellect, anything else. It's simply a tool that allows a, a buyer to select who they want to buy from. End of story. Do people misuse it? They absolutely do. But it doesn't mean the tool sucks. It means the person sucks. I can build yeah. a house with a hammer or I can murder somebody with a hammer. Is it the hammer's fault or is it my fault? <laughs> absolutely right. Same with all this stuff. 100%. Yeah. So you've got a lot of stuff that you're looking to, to push into, you know, when we were talking the other day, you're, you're still, I mean, this is not something that's done, right? Like you have got a great product as it sits right now. And if you stopped and you didn't do anything else, you have zero competition in, in that space. Even if you had it, it would be almost impossible for them to replicate anything close to what you have without infringing on intellectual property or whatever else. But you're not done, man. You're not satisfied. So what do you see over five years for Big Nition? Well, there's uh, so first of all, it, it it is a selling platform with some marketing capabilities. So to take those marketing capabilities and, and make them make them better, you know, right now most of the people doing marketing are for small commercial lines and personal lines and stuff like that. We in middle market need to become better marketers, but most firms are not big enough to have a marketing person. So 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 I feel we need to find a way to make it easier for a producer to become a better marketer. Right, that's one piece. Um, as a, as a commercial guy, not so much employee benefits, but you know, I mean, you guys send out, I don't know, 100, 200, 5,000 certificates to have something that, that takes those certificates and does an analysis on them and kind of puts it back in the database. So now you can find out your connections and who your, who your clients know and help, help, help accelerate building out that database of who your clients know you could go get boom, boom, boom. I, I see that as part of something I'd like to do. Uh, I think I think that's right. remarkable. And by the way, mm -hmm. if, for everybody who listened to that and did not understand what Randy just said, let me make this very, very clear to you. Every certificate that you see is now a lead for you every single time. So you hear me talk on the podcast about going to every audit for every one of my clients 100% of the time. And people will ask me, David, what do you, I mean, what are you doing? You're going to the audit. Like, how do you control that situation? Why are you going? You know, my answer is because I'm there, because my client sees me there. But if you really want to start peeling the onion back, what do I get to have access to when I'm in that audit? Every single subcontractor that my client hired. Now we have it even better because we use KPA in the agency and we're using COI track. Every time one of my clients that's in that has a risk management center that we've built for them on KPA's platform, sends out an email template, clicks a link. Now they scan in the certificate, OCR technology pulls it out, populates it, and we can track to find when things are going to expire or not expire. But that's where the competition, that is where your competition is going to stop. You need to look at that like it's a leads list, right? If you look at that... Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know that existed. So I got to talk to you more about what you just talked about, uh, because that that is a gold mine. Yep, and it's, right? ne Absolutely. it's like never ending. It just goes on forever. I mean, Randy, all, I, I have the exact like, guy. I have the exact guy that you need to meet that could right. immediately push that into what you're doing. We'll get that set up because right now, like if, if if I'm you and you're 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 my client, we're going through the audit and all of a sudden we see Kyle's. Uh, certificate of certificate of insurance pop right there, and I go. Do you know him? Well, of course we do business. With I'd like to meet. Uh, I mean, like every audit, literally, you're you're setting up introductions like crazy. And mm -hmm. here's the interesting thing about that: if you're selective about who that is, and you're only you, you and you you set your sights that I only would get introduced to people that are equivalent to my top twenty, somewhere in that range. 
you can, you can double your book in a short period of time and do it with half as many clients. So then you, you dump all the bottom half of your clients, literally, you keep the top or you hand them off to somebody, whatever, and then you, and, and now you got a much bigger book with fewer people to manage and they love you. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. So, so when you're talking about things to do, I mean, and, and then, I, you know, I just we're had working. another one, Randy, imagine this, imagine if that OCR technology could capture the signature and cross reference it to the list of competition that's inside the CRM so that now you're targeting that individual agent based on the certificates that you have come through that they've signed. I mean, this could go, I, I could go for days on this now. Well, so then we're going to have to do that because these are all the things that, um, I mean, it's frustrating for all of us. I mean, just be candid. We, we know we got, we got all these little pockets of information, but it's not, it's not served up to me on silver platter. And if it was, a lot of us would just take better action faster, quicker, easier. And, um, you know, it's interesting when we, when we built the incumbent database part, because, because when you, when you, when you, when you look at the opportunity screen, you know, you're putting the renewal date, the incumbent agent, the incumbent agency, what the potential revenue is. And, and so now when you hear that Bob Smith, God forbid, but Bob Smith, one of your competitors got fired, died, quit or retired. All you do is just go click Bob Smith and every account that he's got is right there. Just right there. Click. And then you hit this little start prospecting button and you start working through every one of them. If you're a sales leader, you assign them. I had a guy, true story, uh, in Anchorage, Alaska, twice did this, where um, Anchorage, small town, half a million people. He was uh, yeah, prospecting and, and, and there was one guy that had really had a great reputation in town. And people would just say, hey, Mike, until, until this guy, until this guy's quit, we're not moving on. Well, one day what happened? He retired. Mike goes into the database, click. That year, he was able to get there first, wrote 14 accounts, a little over 150,000 revenue just off of that one feature in Big Nation. Then he did it again about two years later in another situation. And I asked him, I said, like, man, that's a, that's a pretty cool story. He said, well, before I had this, that stuff was spread out on three by five cards, yellow pages. It was just everywhere. And I, I just had no way to organize it. So what's interesting is as... You know, our big aggregators are clumping up people. Those, there's a lot of disruption on those firms that are, are, are competitors. Secondarily, I mean, it's an old industry. And, you know, there's a lot of dudes out there that are 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, 75, and 80 that are, that are semi-retired, that are, that are just, just milking their accounts, and they're ready to, 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 to drop off. And Gosh, man, to, 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 to have that mapped out so that either you can go attack them now or attack them soon when something happens, it's just smart business, right? Yeah, I agree. What have we missed, man? Oh, man, I don't, I don't, I mean, look, we could, we could talk all day long because it's fun and we, we care about this stuff and we want to see people do better. Um, and I'm, you know, I can get pretty nerdy and geeky about, about, you know, when, when you start to get in the trenches because I, I love, I love running sales meetings. I love helping people create good wedges. You gave me a couple of ideas the other day about, about some of the tools to support the wedges that we have. Um, I mean, we're in the same business of wanting to make it easier for producers to build a book, make money, save money, and have a great life. And uh, there's so many paths of storytelling and, you know, goal setting. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's like, there's a book right up there on my shelf right now by Ray Dalio called principles that if you haven't read that book and it's about 600 pages, but then there's a, there's a great book summary, but that dude right there was a commoner, just like all of us, um, had no real great things in his life that made him move in a direction. But one day, you know, he started a hedge fund, made some mistakes, came back from it, Ended up building a $150 billion hedge fund, has a personal net worth of $16 billion. And he just delineates those principles. And, the, and the, one of the first thing he talks about is get really clear on what you want. And the reason I bring that up is because I, I see so many, so many, I mean, it's just human nature to not slow down and get clear on what you want. It's just human nature. It's just, just go, go, go. But man, if we get people slowed down and get really clear on what you want and then get, and then the other thing he talks about is be a hyper realist. Where are you right now? And I talked to so many agency owners that 
You know, they'll start talking about their producer. Well, you know, yeah, but he's a good guy. So, uh, yeah, but what's, you don't have to bullshit me. Just, just tell me, how old is he? How long has he been with you? How much new business did he write? How big is his book of business? And how big is his pipeline? Well, Randy's good. You know, it's like, no, 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 hyper-realist. Just tell me the truth. Let's just try with the truth. And so if we can get people focused on what they want, get truthful what they are, and then just start to take the right kind of actions, building a million-dollar book of business is no miracle. It's just, that's what I want. Go take action, do it. Become a learner. And there's a lot of guys like, I mean, there's, there's more than you and me out there, you know, preaching the message. But, but we got some pretty good messages. And, um, and get focused on what you want and go get it. And you said a while ago, by definition, the competition has to be mediocre. But in reality, the competition is mediocre. We've seen them, right? Mm-hmm. And so for the guys who want it, man, there's just so much opportunity to be great. I agree. I think the one thing I would add on to that too is if you're a producer and you want to build that million dollar book, I'm going to go back to what uh, a comment that Brian Will made when he was on the podcast. And that is, if you're going to seek a mentor, find somebody who's built a million dollar book. You don't want somebody who's built a half million dollar book teaching you how to build a million dollar book. And you don't want somebody who's built a $5 million book to teach you how to build a million dollar book. True. Because the the tactics that they've used and the way that they think and, and the way that, that Brian said it was, if you want to be a millionaire, go surround yourself with people who have a net worth of $5 million or less. Don't go to Warren Buffett and ask him, you know, for how you can get to be a millionaire because so far removed. Just completely different level yeah. of analysis in the way they make decisions and everything else. And I think that we have so much information out there that people get clouded with that. And the internet and social media has made that even that water even muddier than it was because anybody like, look, I'd say it all the time. Two idiots and a microphone can start a podcast, right? right. You don't have to have any, <laughs> you don't have to have anything <laughs> at all other than the equipment and the desire to record and distribute. And the same thing holds true. I mean, we have the, these insurance industry thought leaders and they come and go, you know, you see three or four new faces pop up every year and three months in, they're gone, and you wonder what happened or where they, you know, wh- where they went. And you know, again, Brian had some really good stuff when he was on the podcast. But you know, then there's the people that have been there for a while, and finally, you know, the universe has smiled on them for their hard work, dedication, some of the ingenuity that they've had to get to where they are. And he said, "That's what you call the twenty-year overnight success story." People, <laughs> I say it every single day: the paychecks are sexy, the process is not. You have to get in and get dirty. My new book is coming out in a couple months, The Dirty 130, and it is a very specific challenge for you. Six months worth of working days, those daily behaviors that you can chart out and figure out, am I going to hit my goals in six months? What Randy has done is taken what the concept I've talked about in the book and those those behaviors that I'm looking for and the things that I know are going to make a producer successful. He's added all of the knowledge he has above and beyond what I know and put it in a nice, neat package for you to be able to monitor that stuff in real time. It's just like when you hear me talk about why I don't like stewardship reports. It's because we should know where we're at in real time in our production. Our clients should know where we're, we're at with them in real time in terms of the delivery of services promised at the point of sale. So if you're looking forward to the book coming out, I highly recommend it would be just common sense to me to do a demo of Big Nition, see what it looks like, because it is directly applicable to what I've got sitting at the publisher right now. It will work with the book. It will make you see it put it into a computer format, generate reports. It's an accountability tool, a report card. I I mean, I can come up with synonyms all day long, but I just highly recommend that you reach out and look at it. You have very rarely heard me get excited about technology more than what I am right now, because I think that this is the tool that's going to revolutionize middle market production for the foreseeable future. That's awesome. Thank you. And I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to... uh, I saw your book cover. It really... (laughs) I, I'm almost envious of your creativity with your book covers and some of the things you do. I just think it's Randy. Did you see the video of how the cover was made? I did not. So this is a true story. I'm a cheapskate. I I am creative, but I'm a cheapskate for some things outside of my wife. She can have whatever she (laughs) wants, but 
I actually put, I, I knew what I wanted it to look like and I knew that I could make it work. So I put on a white button down dress shirt with my gym shorts and tennis shoes and went out and mowed the grass. And I got sweaty, but not sweaty enough. So I had my wife turn the hose on me and then my kids picked up the grass clippings and dirt and threw them at me. My shirt, my face, everything else. And then I obviously I photoshopped the tattoos on my forearms because that's never going to happen. But, oh. you know, it was it, that was literally started out with me cutting the grass in my yard. And that's what it turned into. So that's awesome. But but again, it's it, at this point, after doing this as long as I have, I always know what the end goal is and work back to the beginning and figure out how to get there. That's so much easier than trying to plot your course without a map, right? If you know where the end is, you can plot the course, but if you just start out and don't know where you're headed, what, you know, how much time do we waste? And I mean, that's, that's my MO for everything. I, I created the book cover six months before I ever started writing the first word for the book, because I knew that if the cover was out and I announced it, that I would be held accountable to have it done. You know, I'm not I'm not always the best at turning things around on time, as Kyle could uh, attribute to oh. to me. But at the end of the day, we have forced accountability. Listen, we could go all day long. I know that we can sit here and I mean, I could brainstorm with you for another two days. I, I may need we may need to just hook up in person at some time soon. I'll fly out and meet you or something. But I, I think that if we got in a room and we brainstormed through some of the things I think based on the platform you've built, it could get real dangerous real quick. <laughs> I do too. I do too. And I look forward to doing that. Good deal. Well, listen, thank you so much. I appreciate you being so gracious as to take an hour out of your time to come onto the podcast with us. But more important than that, I mean, I'm going to say this uh, with Kyle as an extension, because if you wouldn't have made an impact on my career, I wouldn't have an agency and Kyle wouldn't have a job with me right now. And we've got a pretty good thing going, man. So I got just a little bitty taste of what it's like to write something that makes a difference in people's lives. I get an e a couple of emails a week from people that have read my book and have done some of the things that I talk about in my book and, and they've made a difference doing it. I can't even imagine what it's like for you. I get it that the haters will email you about, you know, getting people fired. But at the end of the mm -hmm. day, the positive far outweighs the negative. And, you know, what started out as a mission to change the industry and train people is really just revolutionized a bunch and made a great life for you. And I look forward to watching the journey as it just continues to expand, man, with the pedal to the metal. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on. Awesome. Thank you, man. It's great seeing you guys. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.